Hello and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analysts, the only podcast that thinks supporters should be banned from stadiums for wearing half-and-half scarves. My name is Rupert Meadows and I've written and broadcasted about all things football on platforms such as TalkSport Radio and Gibby Sports. My co-host Cameron McDonald spent the last three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. But above all else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Rupert. We've just had a great week for the fairy tale narrative in the FA Cup. The magic of the cup is truly alive and well, uh, and we're definitely going to be getting into some of our best bits from the competition a little later on in this episode. Um, but to start off, I wanted to talk about a little bit of off-the-pitch action uh, and a topic that I think demands a, a bit of a discussion, a bit of a nuanced conversation, um, and one that I'm sure um, you might <laughs> end with saying, you know, oh, Cameron, you've got no case here, but it's something I've got a bit of a take on, and that is the recent 10-week ban awarded to Kieran Trippier for his involvement in a betting for frenzy uh, made by his friends sure yeah of course not him um, in the lead up to his transfer to Atletico Madrid um, and I just want to have a conversation about this because I think it's something that needs a lot of specification it's something that we have a lot more information about often on the podcast we discuss things that are stories that have just broken so we don't have all the information certainly with Harry Maguire that was the case we talked about this case uh, when it first came to light and, and now we have a lot more evidence and a lot more context to it and for me, this case kind of comes down to two things. Firstly, how the FA should interact with gambling that doesn't have anything to do with matches, which I'll get into a little bit later. And secondly, where the burden of confidentiality lies with footballers. Because footballers, you know, when you're moving country, when you even if you're not moving country, if you're moving from, say, Manchester to London, or, you know, you're moving all the way to the other end of the country there is a degree of, you know, disclosure that's going to happen. Ultimately, you are going to have to tell people at some point, oh, by the way, can't come to your barbecue next weekend, mate. I'm going to live in London for the next three years minimum. Um, and so I, I just wanted to look at some of these texts because now that we've had the commission publish the exchange, the WhatsApp exchanges between Trippier and his friends, uh, we have a little bit of a better idea as to what the case uh, was that was built against him. So just to read one back and forth between Kieran Trippier and OH, Oliver Hawley, who was the friend of his that made the most money from the um, the gambling, I believe he made about uh, £2,000, uh, the back and forth goes as such. Oliver says to Kieran Tini, how's it going, mate? Any developments today? Yeah, all good, mate. It's all agreed. Just waiting for them to come to an agreement with the fee. Should be done tomorrow or definitely Monday. That's class, mate. Is Levy going to be hard work or do you not reckon? They need to sell, so it should go through straight away. Hopefully, mate. Be a great one, this. Yeah, be quality, mate. Now, to, to me, that is just two friends exchanging you know, basically a change in working circumstance. Kieran Trippier is talking to a close mate of his. He, it, it, there's a burden of privacy that the commission has seemed to expect for him to sort of zip his lip around all of his friends. I don't think the fault is with Kieran Trippier here if that mate then goes off and throws a bunch of money on. Um, and I think it's this really bizarre precedent they've set here where they even said in the case, I believe the exact wording was... Um, that exact communication I've just read, because there are other communications that can be interpreted differently, but that exact communication, they said, given the nature of their communications, Trippier should have warned Hawley against betting upon his transfer, but instead he said nothing to discourage or uh, did nothing to discourage him from betting. Which, is that a realistic expectation? Every time a footballer's talking about their life, should they have to caveat it, even with their like close friends and family, by saying, oh, by the way, don't bet on that? What do you think, Rupert? So, uh, okay, in isolation... That part that you've just read, I agree, sounds very nice. It's what it's a conversation I would have with a friend if they were transferring to another club. Yeah, you can't come to the barbecue. I want to keep up with you. I want to know what's going on. Perfectly fine. The undercurrent of that being with the guy who stood, to, who made the most money from that deal makes it a little bit more sinister in my mind. Is he just checking up because he wants to know the financial details or does he genuinely care? Um, this, I mean... That part of the conversation is not what I have a problem with. It's that infamous, like, lump on if you want to his mates. Yeah. And there's clearly this undercurrent of just this casual nature around transfers. He doesn't care. He's like, yeah, chuck it on if you want. It's all good. That is where the problem lies and not with just, like, having a nice conversation with friends. Obviously, you're more than welcome to have conversations amongst your friends, but... You do need to to make it clear to them, maybe not in every conversation you have, but if they're talking about betting on it, you go, no, you can't do that. That's illegal and I'll get in trouble. But he's saying like, yeah, it's probably safe. Lump it on, chuck it on, do it. Like, it's just, it's negligent. And 
I, I think deserves to be punished. It's insider trading. How, how can it not be? I, th- I think context is important for a lot of reasons. And, and yes, I, I do broadly agree that, yeah, it, it is using inside information to, to gain an unfair advantage. But first and foremost, the thing to, to just make clear is that the friend in the shall I lump on you going there text made 24 quid from betting on Kieran Trippier going to Atletico Madrid. Now, I understand you could say it's the principle as, as, as opposed to, you know, the actual monetary gain, but a 10-week ban and 70,000 fine for 24 quid seems heavy-handed to say the least. And, you know, in addition, if you look at the exchange again, it's this person, MB, who's very much prompting Kieran Trippier, prompting Kieran Trippier. Even if Kieran Trippier had said, like, no, do not... I mean, I, it's just not how people speak. Are they expecting footballers to... It, it's it's not great, and I understand how, if you're looking at things from the very letter of the law, uh, he has done wrong there. But I just think it's a weird standard to be holding footballers to, to expect them to almost sort of be robotic if one of their mates is going, oh, shall I bet on you going there? And in, in several of the, the correspondences, he's just replying with, like, emojis and just, like, laughing emojis and things like that. And he even says to his mate, he says, shall I lump on? He goes, don't blame me if something goes wrong. So he's not saying, yes, confirmed. It's not like... It's been portrayed as this like surgical operation where Kieran Trippier has given them all the details and the thing. It just looks like a bunch of lads joking about. If anyone's to blame, it's his mates basically who have been really, really poor mates and have caused him to miss ten weeks of football. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. But I think that the first question you asked me was, "Is it right that he's getting banned?" I said yes, and then you you changed it to talk about how you know maybe this ten weeks is too much. I do kind of agree with you. 10 weeks does seem like too much, especially given the fact that we well, made 24 quid on it. But still, I mean, it's not like you can't warn people about being responsible. You could just say, mate, I'll get in trouble if I get caught. Please don't do that. Even that is like, it's a selfish perspective, but it's still getting the point across. So like, don't do that because you could jeopardize my future. I understand that. Um, in the same way that there, there are so many different professions that have the same stuff. Like, can other people bend the laws? Like, can, I don't know, Pubs, for example, do they need to worry about um, like licensing regulations with their friends? It's grey area, but at the end of the day, if you get caught, you're still going to have to get fined and you're still going to maybe have your license revoked. Yeah, I, I understand that. I just It just seems like a very heavy-handed thing to me. And, and the ban, you know, there's a very good comparison that I'd like to sort of talk about here, which is Daniel Sturridge, who was banned four months last season and fined double what Trippier was. And his texts couldn't be more chalk and cheese for me. He's talking to his brother and he's saying, put the grand on Sevilla, I'll give it you back if you lose. His brother comes back and says, the odds are four to one. Daniel Sturridge says, the odds will be higher elsewhere. Find the higher odds and put it on there. Comparing that to someone's mate sort of going, haha, shall I lump on you going there? And Kieran Trippier just replying with laughing emojis and going, don't blame me if something goes wrong. It, it, it's just, it, it's very different. One is, you know, jokey banter that's been taken in the context because something wrong has happened and this guy's made 24 quid. And, and the other is, is this sort of surgical operation that, that Kieran Trippier's was made out to be? Um, I, I do think that Obviously, you know, I myself have been in a situation where I wasn't able to bet on football at all. So you do have to be extra, extra careful with that. But I do think it's just, they they seem to have wanted to make an example of him here. And I want to just also highlight another conversation that's been had around that. Rob Draper, who wrote an article for the Mail about this, um, talked about the distinction between betting on games and betting on the outcome of transfers. So the FIFA betting regulations are supposed to chiefly tackle betting on games. And it's obvious why that is, because if players are betting on games or affiliates of players are betting on games, you know, best case scenario, it's because they know that a player is injured or a player is fit or whatever. Worst case scenario, match fixing. I understand why you should absolutely come down on anything that smells of that like a hammer. But just to quote Rob Draper here, when the FA rewrote their gambling rules in 2014, they wanted to be seen to be tough on an issue which was causing alarm because match fixing goes to the heart of the game's integrity. Yet, with the best will in the world, betting on transfers doesn't. Ultimately, betting on transfers is something that, you know, is also very easy to be caught for because no one knows about transfers except for the player, his agent, and the clubs. So when players, when people start betting large amounts of money on it, it's not surprising they get caught very quickly. Conversely, it's not something that changes the game so i don't know why it's the fa that have got involved and not for example the police yeah i would agree with that it's a matter for the police um because it is insider trading and it's not fraud um i think if you're getting accused of of match fixing and things like that and affecting the the outcome of matches even if it's like throw-ins and corners that's a completely different um thing definitely i would say however while the police should chiefly look at it and, and address whether or not like the law has been severely broken. I also think that the FA is the footballing body that, you know, um, manages the game. 
are well within their rights to also impose their own punishments. Um, I agree with you. It's been heavy-handed, both potentially by the FA and also by the um, the newspapers. But at the end of the day, he is going to be a example made, and he's also kind of seems to have accepted that he he himself has offered to um, give talks to young people about um, like this happening. Uh, so he clearly recognises that he has some some responsibility and some agency in this. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's a little bit insidious compared to a lot of other things. Firstly, just the lack of effect that it has in terms of on the actual game. You know, the, the point has been made, uh, you know, quite frequently today that when this uh, deal was crafted, the FA was literally in pay of bookmakers because they'd agreed a sponsorship deal with Ladbrokes, uh, which was only terminated late three years later in 2017. It does feel like the FA here are kind of doing the bookmakers' work because it doesn't affect the game. So I don't see why the FA are getting involved, why they're issuing such long 10-game bans, especially when you can compare that to you know other things that, that you know incur much shorter bans like biting someone or racial abuse that get less banned than telling your mates you're moving club it just it leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth to be honest with you yeah i agree with you there i think that it, it's yeah the whole um the whole nature of you know betting agencies investing in the premier league does muddy the water a little bit um and of course it's so different from the example you gave with daniel sturridge um you know i, I think that in retrospect, we will look back on this and 100% agree that it is too long to be banned for. Um, £70,000 is a lot of money, but it's a bit of a slap on the wrist for a player like that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's never about the uh, the fine, really, is it? 70k for Kieran Trippier isn't it's, it's you know, half a week's wages, um, but being being out for 10 weeks that is really, really, really big. In that time, you can have your place in the first 11 stolen. Someone can have a few really good performances. It theoretically can end careers, and it just seems weird that for just using Daniel Sturridge as a, as a direct comparison, the the most egregious of Kieran Trippier's texts are sort of having a bit of a jokey back and forth, comparing that to someone being like, put the bet on here, I'll pay you back if it loses, find better odds. It's just chalk and cheese to me. Oh no, it's completely chalk and cheese. And yeah, I, I just think what we're looking at here are examples at the highest level of football. Players like Daniel Sturridge, players like Kieran Trippier or, you know, Joey Barton or... Andros Townsend, not Andros Townsend, um, but you know there are there are loads of players through history that have been done for for betting on games, and ultimately the these high end players doing it reflects like much more players doing at a lower level. And I do think that examples need to be made. No, but I, I agree. In the example of Joey Barton, if you're betting on games, throw the book at them. I, I 100%, if they, if Kieran Trippier had been betting on games that Atletico Madrid were going to win or things of that nature, I 100% throw the book at them, ban them for 50 games because like, that is so, so, so dodgy betting on actual games that you are part of or at least sort of influential over. That that cannot stand, but that's not what this is. And so, No, it's, it's true, but I, I think like my prevailing emotion is not I feel really sorry for you, Kieran Trippier. It's I feel quite sorry for you. It's quite harsh, but you're an idiot. Yeah, well, yeah, no, I agree. I, I definitely agree that, you know, he, he has been an idiot. More, more than that, his friends have been idiots. I, I think a lot of those friends won't be getting an, an invite to the, the Trippier Christmas party now, especially the lad who won like 12 or, or, or sorry, two grand or however much it was, um, <laughs> which he's also probably now had to give back. Um, it, it just seems like a really, really stupid decision. But yeah, agreed. One, I mean, one that yeah. merited that punishment? Formino. Probably also Firmino. Yeah. I think um, you know, a couple of weeks ban and, and a fine well, it's just so hard to, to argue, isn't it? Because you can imagine the flip side, which is that if you get an inconsequential slap on the wrist, then what's to stop you from doing it again? Doing and just do, trying to, trying doing to, what again though in this case? His friends have been like, Oh, haha, should I bet? And he's gone, haha, don't blame me if it goes wrong. That for me is like, is the expectation for him to go, no, please do not bet because FA regulation C subsection I1 says do not bet if you're of the, like, yes, he could say that. And apparently, but you don't need to say that. You just need to say, mate, I'll get fined. Like, I'll get banned from the game. Don't do that. Don't be an idiot. You're messing with my future. <laughs> what a fun vacuum in every conversation you've got to, anytime someone makes what he might have well have perceived to be a joke and seems to have in these conversations, it's just his friends were then really duplicitous and were like, so he has confirmed but though, like, 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 haha, we I joke, just, but we're putting money on, right? I don't know. I mean, this kind of taps into like a wider thing for me, which is, I don't know, if, if a friend of mine tells like a sexist joke or a racist joke, 
I'm not going to laugh. I'm not going to go along with it. Like there needs to be boundaries set. People need to be responsible. And if I'm a footballer and my play, my friends are saying like, "Oh, we're going to make money off inside information," I'll go, "Dude, please don't." Uh, well, all right. Let, let me let me throw back in you an, an example. Then let's say that you get somehow scouted from this podcast and signed for Real Madrid. I would text you something along the lines of, "Probably, haha, gonna bet on you scoring a hat trick in the first El Clasico, mate." If you then went, "Yeah, sure, you sure should, mate. Gonna bang in three. Should you then get done? I mean, that's that's a. Should, 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 should you have to go, no, friend, please do not bet. I know that was in jest, but according to FIFA regulations, I must remind you that you cannot bet. I'd probably, I probably would laugh it off until, I mean, I might realise that there was something wrong there and I might get back to you and say, actually, I've thought about it and that might be against the rules. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's, that's a much more, that's clearly an obvious joke. Whereas Kieran Trippy is saying, like, yeah, put a bet on. It's, it's kind of down to interpretation. It's difficult to know the spirit that the texts were sent in. But I think, I don't know, it, it just seemed very harsh for a lot of, like, joking around. I, I don't think he or others will be making the same mistake anytime soon. So there's that, I guess. But it just seemed weird for something that doesn't really affect the game. And well, that's the point, isn't it? The bet- well, but is it, though? Because why are the F- it doesn't affect the game. It's just the betting company's bottom line that's been affected. And now the FA are doing their, their dirty work for them. It's just, which is just but weird. it does affect the game because yeah it doesn't it doesn't affect you know but okay for example what if um someone joins a big club and instead of betting on the transfer they bet on a season outcome because they're a good player like there, there's gray area there as well it's not just about that not impacting the game of course players moving clubs impacts the game it's it's about that you can't engage in that space period yeah, no, look, look, I, I understand it because I've been in that same space myself, and and you know it, it was always very something that was very black and white, and I think you know it is something that mobile betting and things like that, and being able to bet something at your fingertips has come in, and maybe it's something that players need to be educated about more, and maybe this will be something that does that. But I just I, when the test came out, I couldn't help but think that it was quite quite heavy handed. Well, it's it's definitely interesting to talk both sides, and and I do agree with you that it seems harsh, but I can understand why it's been done. Although it does seem a little sketchy with uh, some um, boardroom deals going on in the background. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I think we agree. I, I'm exactly there as well. Um, moving into guessing game, I've got a player for you this week. Um, I'm gonna start off with my first clue, which is that this player has gone by many nicknames. Uh, you know, several different nicknames that I, that I won't go into now, uh, except for one, which was the new Diego. The new Diego. The new Diego. Yeah, that's what this player was known the as. The new Diego. Okay, and you're not gonna tell me a surname or okay. No, cool. just the, cool, the, cool, the, cool. the 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 full nickname was just the new Diego. Um, this player is the only player in football history to be the top scorer or assist provider in the Premier League, La Liga, Europa League, Champions League, and World Cup, as well as two other tournaments that I'll uh, reveal later if needs be. Okay, go on. Uh, so you've got that. And this player is now, these days, as well as for his footballing talents, known for his massive presence on the streaming site Twitch. Interesting. Okay. So you got those clues down? Let's move. Yeah, I mean, the Twitch clue sadly has done nothing for me because I can't really think of any players that use Twitch that would be that high profile. Um, oh, I've got like an idea. <laughs> I've got know. an idea of who I think it might be just based on that stat. I think I might have seen that stat uh, bandied around before, but Pinging around the internet. it's going to be a tough one. Okay. Uh, looking at our next uh, area, which is another revisiting of uh, a topic we've discussed in the past, which was Marine AFC and Chorley. Um, and this was a, a real Magic of the Cup weekend. Um, these are two teams we talked about back in episode 25, who both led massive upsets um, against uh, Haven to Waterlooville and Peterborough, respectively, uh, and made it through to the uh, third round where they were going to start playing Premier League and Championship teams. Uh, Chorley took on Wayne Rooney's Derby County, while Northern Premier League Division 1 North West side Marine AFC hosted uh, Mourinho's Tottenham. Where do you want to start? With which game? I kind of want to start with Chorley, just because I was so impressed with their performance. I mean, they they ran Derby completely ragged. Um, they came out 2-0, the winners, and 
They pressed harder. They put more dangerous balls into the box. They had a couple of really, really smart um, set piece routines in the works. And I just overall was so, so impressed. And they looked like they were at Derby's level, if not maybe even, you know, slightly better. They I, they played to me like a championship side. Yeah, they, they really did play well and they put a lot of great parts together. Their movement was good. As you mentioned, their set pieces were great. Always threatening, you know, I think both of their goals... Uh, the second one wasn't a set piece, was it? It was just a good cross. But um, no, it was a it was a cross to the back post. Yeah, it was, it was just a good cross. I, for some reason, I was thinking it might have been a free kick, but it was just a cross. But but yeah, the set pieces were always threatening the whole way through the game. Uh, both goals were quite good. The second one, especially, was something that you would see at the top level. It was really nice movement. Great to find the player at the back post, uh, and he sort of bundles it in. And um, I, I thought, you know, fair enough, Chorley. Uh, we have both voiced our love for the non-league level of the game before so you know we, we sure don't have. necessarily need to go over that but I always think it's great to see teams like this show that they can they can mix it with teams higher um I also thought just from the community side there was a really great story um the pitch had been frozen over Christmas so they had volunteers sleeping at the ground overnight to make sure the pitch would be good enough to play on um they were using hair dryers and kettles to make sure the ground didn't freeze over the groundskeeper Ben Kay literally slept on the pitch under a giant protective cover to make sure it was playable the next day um, and the cover was still on a fifth of the pitch while Derby were warming up before kickoff um, so it was this great story this whole sort of group of people staying you know coming together volunteers from the local area just all coming out with their kettles to pour boiling water on the frozen parts of the pitch all to make sure that they could yeah, get this game uh, it's just amazing isn't it uh, that's uh, what football's uh, all about and they were re- rewarded for their you know diligence in making it playable by winning the game they certainly did, and yeah, as we said, deservedly so. Um, and yeah, I mean, you love to hear things like that. You really do. I think anyone that, even Derby fans, you'd have to have a heart um, of stone to not respect and admire uh, what Chorley are doing so far in the league. Not in the league, in the cup. In the cup, yeah. And they've got uh, Wolves in the fourth round. So, you know, could be a dream cut short. Could be yet another giant killing for the old, the old Lancashire side. I imagine that would be just the hugest upset in recent history, wouldn't it? There would be absolutely... I don't think there's any chance it'll happen. But that being said, didn't think there was any chance they'd manage to beat Derby or Peterborough for that matter. And look where we are now. Hey, they're knocking knocking heads, man. Exactly. Um, looking at the other game, which, um, despite the fact that the Chorley one was the one that won, this was the one that got um, more attention. Um, there was a lot to say about this game before it even kicked off. It was the largest difference between two sides in the football pyramid before it kicked off, with 161 places separating the two sides, um, which the lo- the largest anything in the competition's history is insane when you consider the FA Cup's been going on since 1871. Yeah, that, that's wild. <laughs> There's no one alive now that was alive when the first FA Cup started and this is this game made a record in terms of like the most something that's ever happened in a match which is crazy um do you happen to know off the top of your head what the record was that it broke uh, I don't I, I, I don't actually I just need to saw that it was 161 was the um the separation here um and what what else was interesting about this game was that because of the current national lockdown, the game was actually played at Marines Ground. Um, and usually, we sort of discussed this jokingly um, back when the draw happened about you know Jose Mourinho travelling to Rossett Park. Usually, what happens in these situations, as I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with, is the two teams will make an agreement to play at the larger sides um, ground in order to sort of allow the smaller team to get some gate receipts. So sure, sure. Uh, the national lockdown meant that it was played at Rossett Park instead, which was really, really interesting, but actually a little bit devastating for Marine because Marine lost out on these potential gate receipts. They estimated that they lost out around about £100,000 of potential revenue. And as well as that, a sponsor pulled out of a 20000 advertising package for the game. Um so that was like I didn't know about the sponsor pulling out. That's bad. Yeah, it, it really was. It was really you know f- for teams in the FA Cup like Marine and and like Chorley as well. This is the kind of thing that can make or break a side. So they were sort of scrambling. They were like, we're playing this team, but we're not getting any of the benefits from it. You know, we're going to get a little bit of exposure, but it's not great. So what they did really, really intelligently was they started selling virtual tickets for ten pound a pop, which in its in and of itself is not like an ingenious uh, initiative what was ingenious about it was that they incentivized it by making each virtual ticket also a raffle ticket <laughs> the grand prize of which is to manage marine for one game in next summer's preseason which is such a cool thing to have done yeah it got me buying a ticket i was watching it on bbc and i bought a ticket before the game regardless just because i was like kind of funny um even Mourinho bought one and had to come out and be like i don't think i would be allowed to manage them if i won the, won the competition <laughs> because of my non-competition clause um 
And they ended up... Even still. As a result of that, they sold 30,000 tickets. So they were worried about missing out on 100k in potential revenue and 20k advertising. They've made over, you know, 300,000 pounds. Some of the tickets were uh, like bumper tickets that were also carrying the community for 20 quid. So they've made at least 300,000 pounds, which is just... Again, one of those things, fantastic, football communities come together, everyone's vying for that managerial spot, but this team that thought they were going to lose it all have ended up doing better than they thought they would, which is, you know, just great to see. Definitely, yeah, it's it's great to hear about things like that, and I also, um, in the spirit of uh, hearing about Chorley coming together in, um, you know, making the pitch ready for the game, I also really enjoyed the fact that um, there were so many foghorns going off during, like, key moments for Spurs players. <laughs> I mean, obviously a little bit more um, rude than than just getting the pitch ready. But as Lucas Moura was taking his free kick, there were about three or four like really loud sirens going off and things like that, which um, definitely cracked me up. And yeah, it was a fun game. I mean, Spurs ran out 5-0 the, the victors. And there was a really nice moment for one of their 16-year-olds who scored his first senior goal, Alfie Devine. Um, Deli Alley looked great. Um, the one thing I would say, I don't know if you noticed this, but Vinicius, who scored the first two goals and got a hat-trick in the end, he did not need to hit either of those two goals at the beginning nearly as hard as he did. <laughs> he was he was definitely like, got to make sure this one gets over the line. He does not do tap-ins, that boy. And I was just looking at it thinking, I, I just watched the, the Chorley highlights. I went over to the Spurs game and I just thought, that's so disrespectful. <laughs> I think it was really funny. Speaking of disrespectful, though, and also the air horns, apparently one of the things that I thought was really funny, uh, well, in general, one of the things I thought was really funny about the, the ground was that it was surrounded by residences. Uh, and one of the things that I don't know if you had seen, because I couldn't hear it, I only found out today um, from people who were at the match, that apparently there was one family that lived in the garden backing onto the ground, and they were playing three lions at full blast for the entirety of the game. <laughs> I did not know that. No, that's brilliant. <laughs> there was also that guy who turned up with a Jurgen Klopp cutout, which was hilarious. There was a girl who wrote a sign that was like, due to unforeseen circumstances, I'm single and ready to mingle. Um, it was just really funny seeing all these sort of fans from the local area turn up. Normally, I'm sure it's an absolute nuisance having a football like pitch in your back garden. You know, everything yeah, yeah, was sudden. Sure. But, um, but this was great, seeing them all sort of peek over. Um, it was really funny as well, the sign of the girl saying she was single and ready to mingle and was like, has they not got Jürgen's number? It was directly above Mourinho. <laughs> so, <laughs> so every time they cut to it, it was there. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great for that. Loads and loads of really funny moments. Um, obviously, Marine did get knocked out, um, losing 5-0. But they did have, you know, the first 20 minutes, it was Spurs pushing forwards. They weren't without their own threats. There was that one absolutely ridiculous shot from Neil Kenji who went from yeah, like 35 yards out, smacked it. Joe Hart made the very odd and Joe Hart-esque decision to leave it and it just smacked off the crossbar. And I was like, it, there is a parallel universe, probably one where it rains beer, that where that goal goes in and we don't live in it and that's a crime. And we'll forever be sad for it. Yeah, and I mean, it was a great dribble as well leading up to the shot. Um, so... A real like moment to cheer for sure. At nil nil as well. I mean, you know, goals change games. They, Would have been a different one, yeah. If they've Very been true. one nil up, who knows? Um, but yeah, no. This was another game that really, really fantastic. Um, I'm sure that Marine will have won a lot of hearts. I'm sure people will have bought a couple of Marine scarves and, and, and Marine clobber and things like that. And even if not, they've they've made a good amount of money from the virtual tickets. And I'm sure again, when the raffle is eventually concluded, there'll be more media coverage of. Um, whoever it is that manages them for a preseason game. So all around is a really smart move yeah, for them to do that. No, very, very smart. Um, all respect to the clubs involved. Shall we move into useless trivia? Uh, yes, let's indeed. And I had a, a completely different useless trivia prepared for you today. I had a story about a player with a record and a, a, a whole thing about that. But as I was doing my research for this episode uh, and sort of the cups and all this... I came across something that was completely different, far weirder, and something that I asked around a few different people if they'd heard of this happening, and was met every time with, wait, what? Do you have evidence of this? And that's the, you know, it's particularly fitting as well, because we've okay. just had a cup draw this evening, so we've just had the fourth and fifth round simultaneously, um, and I found out about a cup draw that happened for the League Cup in 1991, uh, for the fifth round, and... That was back when, you know, it was still, it was uh, Jimmy Greaves drawing balls out of a hat and he was drawing the home sides. 
the away sides were being drawn out of a hat by none other than Donald Trump. What? <laughs> right? Wait, wait, what, in what year? It was 1991. It's Jimmy Greaves and Donald Trump on ITV, I think, drawing balls out of a hat. It's really funny because at one point, um, Jimmy Greaves picks out Leeds United and Donald Trump picks out Manchester United. And they're all like, oh, because they were the two top teams at the time. And they were like, you don't know what you've done there. And he's like, Manchester United. (laughs) It's one of those things that I saw that and I was like, how is that not something that has been mentioned at all at any point over the last four years? It's funny, is it? He just has so many different media moments, and there have been things like, um, obviously, a famous example is the Home Alone film that he has a cameo appearance in. But there are quite a few other films that he just cameos in, and you go, "Wait, was that Donald Trump?" Yeah, but, yeah, but people talk like I have not gone one of the years. Just saying very broadly, I've not gone one of the years since he became president where I haven't seen a picture of that Home Alone scene and other stuff like that, like him being on SNL and stuff. I've seen that so frequently, yet somehow, despite the fact that I'm like on Twitter and online in general, uh, in in a lot of the football circles, no one ever talked about the fact that Donald Trump did a, a draw for the League Cup. It doesn't, doesn't get talked about on the football TV, doesn't get talked about on, like, Match of the Day or anything, doesn't get talked about on Twitter, doesn't get talked about on any sort of, like, article sites. I, I came across it by pure chance looking at cup draws, and, and everyone I asked about it was like, what? It, it's insane. Yeah, that is bizarre. That's so funny. I had no idea. Absolutely no idea. I was really hoping, as you said it, that I would know it, but no, no clue. Never <laughs> never seen that before in my life. weird. Very, very strange indeed. Uh, the man has, if anything, a storied past. <laughs> yeah, many, um, many hats. <laughs> definitely. Uh, so um, my useless trivia is um, related to, I guess, in the spirit of the FA Cup and in the absence of a middle of the footballing year silly season, I thought it was high time I tell a silly story about the Isle of Silly. Um, For those of you who don't know, the Scilly Isles are a set of small islands off the coast of Cornwall. The Football League of the Isles of Scilly, which is connected to the FA, is famous for being the smallest league in the world, and they're currently in applications with the Guinness Book of World Records to become certified for that case. There are only two teams. There are only two teams. (laughs) How do you play a league with just two teams, I hear you ask? The teams known as Woolpack Wanderers and the Garrison Gunners play each other 17 times over the course of five months, as well as participating in two cups. (laughs) Because 17 league matches (laughs) competing against each other is clearly not enough for these guys. That's just, see, I'm the kind of person that, and I, I like the Scottish Premier League, but I think that when people talk about the old firm being like one of the most intense derbies, I'm like, they play about 50 times a year. How can it be that intense? So this is like every single week, you're like, who have we got this week? <laughs> like, oh, the gunners away. Oh, again. So what's also quite funny is that um, there's a quote from the um, the Woolpack Wanderers skipper, Anthony Gibbons, where he says, um, it's pretty much like schoolyard rules. The players' names are put down on pieces of paper broken down by positions, we flip a coin, and the two captains then take it in turns to pick their squad for the year. <laughs> what? That's the so, weirdest part. So, um, yeah, that's it. And those are all the games they play each year. Sometimes they will form a combined uh, silly team and go and play against the local Cornish um, 14th division side. Um, and that is what happens with football on the Isles of Scilly. Well, I cannot wait, Rupert, in three, four years when we're talking about their FA Cup run, where they've just knocked out Chorley, who are at that point in the Premier League. Imagine. Managed by Cameron McDonald, who, <laughs> who decided to postpone his uh, uh, one game as manager. <laughs> exactly. Um Looking at uh, some more of our FA Cup games, we had another huge upset that was... It it was a crazy one, because there were a lot of upsets in this fixture of games, but obviously the two that were most grabbing the headlines were Chorley, because they'd already had a few upsets, and Marine, because they were all the way down in the eighth tier against Spurs. But uh, Crawley Town, who are in League 2, also played Leeds and decisively beat them 3-0, which was really impressive, because it wasn't like Leeds fielded a particularly weak side it was a fairly strong lead side 
Yeah, no, I mean, um, a great result for them to to run away with it. And, um, yeah, I mean, the other thing to mention is the the addition of a certain um, celebrity, Mark Wright. <laughs> Which was, like, the ultimate form of shithousery. Three and a lot bringing on a fucking reality TV star. I mean, yeah, is this, is he, I mean, because I went on Wikipedia after the game and it says he is a, a television personality currently playing for League Two side Crawley Town. I mean, is he signing a contract? Is he, is he there for good? To yes. be fair, I mean, he has, he has played a fair bit in his career um, and he, it's nine years since he retired. Is he back? Well, so yes and no, and this is something that I was kind of very hmm about because he signed officially a contract with Crawley Town. I, I want to say a month or two ago, uh, and this was the first game I believe that he'd played. Uh, if I'm pretty sure it's the first game that he'd actually played, which is also hilarious, making his debut against a Premier League side. Um, but uh, they had sort of interviewed the Crawley boss, and they were like, right, come on, so this is always a publicity stunt, right? And he was like, no, no, it's not a publicity stunt. Like, he trains really hard. He's got loads of talent. You know, he used to play back in the day, and he did. He used to, you know, play for Spurs and Arsenal, uh, and I think Chelsea's youth teams back in the day, but hasn't played professional football for near on a decade now. And I, I just have such a hard time believing, and maybe this is the, the bitter, bitter cynic in me, but I just have such a hard time believing that it's not a publicity stunt. Not least because the BBC are doing a documentary on it, like a two-part docu-series. And I, I, I just... We talk so often about like the difference between professional football players and people who are just like kicking around in the park. I, I just don't believe that someone who hasn't trained or played or had the like that sort of like nutrition and, and training for nearly a decade is going to be on the level. And the evidence hasn't been there for or against yet because we only saw him come on for a very small cameo. But I just, I, I was so press X to doubt when the Crawley Town manager was like, no, it's not a publicity start. I was like, oh, okay, man, sure. That's why the cameras are coming true? into training. Yeah, I mean, okay, so to be fair, I mean, in terms of the training and the nutrition and stuff, he, he has had a, a whole life of being so, so careful with his body. And I'm sure he has done some training and I'm sure... You know, you don't just forget everything that you learned nutrition-wise when you're a footballer. Yes, some go off the rails and get fat, but quite a, a few stay in great shape still. So I mean, it's not unbelievable, but yeah, it, it definitely does not seem yeah, like but, but there, it's a good. There's such a difference between being in shape and between being ma and then being match fit. Like you, you can be absolutely, you can run five k perfectly, and you'll get shredded by people on the pitch if you're not sharp. Like it, it, fitness and match readiness are not entirely different because they do feed into each other, but they're not the same thing. Just being able to, you know, lift weights or run on the treadmill doesn't mean you're going to be able to get a ball, hit the first touch, turn and spray a pass. What, like, I, I just don't accept. And it also, I don't know, maybe as someone who stands non-legal a little bit, and I don't mean to pile on this guy. Maybe he has worked really hard and deserves his place, but it just seems like such a smack in the face. If you're some guy who's been toiling away in non-league, you've been you know, working up the football pyramid, putting in your grind, and then some reality TV star just swoops straight into not just any old team, a League Two side. He's in the football league immediately. I was just like, that's got to be a slap in the face. Yeah, no, you're right. I do, uh, I do agree with that. It is harsh on someone who is denied that opportunity, especially if they're, you know, a young up and coming player aspiring to, you know, make it and hoping to. Yeah, I mean, it's a big platform when you're playing in the FA Cup. Uh, I mean, he didn't start the game; he came on, but still. Right, but he signed a contract with them, so this was just the first time play. He will be playing with them in the future, which to me was like, listen, I, I want to caveat what I'm about to say by saying. No one more than me would love to see... I, I love a good narrative in football. I love the bizarre. I love the weird. If a reality TV star comes out and is absolutely world-class, hey, I will eat my own words and love doing it. But I just don't believe that there wasn't some young prospect that they could have, young prospect at the back that they could have signed in, instead of him. Someone that would have been more deserving. Someone who has actually worked at it and been training it week in, week out than someone who, you know, has spent... You know, time being a reality TV star, which there's nothing wrong with, but it's not being a footballer. It just it smacks of not nepotism's the the wrong word, but just someone getting ahead because of their position rather than their merit. Yeah, it's not nothing, um, but you know, it's it's a uh, football is more than just the game itself. Obviously, you know, any player that gets signed, at least in part for their marketing value as well as the value of of their game, 
you know that it does it does sting me sometimes and smack of of i guess a lack of meritocracy but it is what it is. It's I also have an issue. One of the aspects of the game these days. I, 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 well, this is my other thing: is that I, I have, I'm sort of angry on both ends of the spectrum because I'm annoyed about the fact that sort of like a TV personality has got a spot ahead of the sort of you know hardworking footballer who's been on the grind for the last four or five years. I'm also angry that if Crawley or someone were going to go for a player like this, why didn't they go for someone like Serge Pizzorno or Robert Webb? You know, these guys are great footballers, proven talents who are much more like, <laughs> well, like Serge Pizzorno played for Crawley. That'd be really cool. Mark Wright, again, I don't that know the guy, but cool. he's kind of most known for being like a, the only way is Essex guy, which is, that's okay. It's no guitarist from Kasabian. I mean that one goal will live on in memory uh, for forever and ever that um, he scored in that charity game. But I, I'm actually not unhappy that his legacy is going untarnished. He scored a perfect goal in a perfect career of one game, and that's it. Mark Wright, yeah, you've got your second chance at the top. All the best to you, but um, yeah, you, you probably did take your spot from someone younger and with more more promise than you. You know, and you know what makes me angriest about it all, Rupert? You know what makes me angriest of all? Is that what is it, Cameron? What makes me angriest is that they've they've won against me because I will now watch Crawley Town. <laughs> if <laughs> yeah, if, if only to like try and see if he's not, not good enough and like be there, sound this open like, yeah, he shouldn't be playing. And if he's great, then I'll be like, hey, you know, fair enough. But I will now watch Crawley Town more than I would have. I'll probably also watch that docuseries just because it's football, you know, it's a narrative that's that's quite interesting. Um but yeah. Mark Wright, not Serge Pizzorno, Robert Webb, listen, he got the ball through the B in Wembley the first try um on Soccer AM. Maybe someone it's should not look nothing, him. is it? It's, it's, it's not, not nothing. nothing. Um, yeah, wait, so who are Crawley playing in the next round? Uh, the draw happened uh, just a minute ago, actually, and I think they are playing someone quite difficult. Sorry, let me just quickly check here. <laughs> so tell us this one. Uh, Crawley are playing uh, Bournemouth away. Got it. Well, uh, if he scores the winner, Cam, eat your words. Look, I, I, I will put a, a napkin around my neck, grab a big old knife and fork, and get into a tuck into a slice of humble pie. I would love that to happen because I, you know, if he turns out to be a worldie, that'd be hilarious. And also, I'd be wrong, which is also hilarious. But I just, it's just another one of those things that I'm, I'm a bit crotchety about, and I'm just like, this is kind of not what you want to see in the English football league. Maybe if it was at a team that, you know, one of those grassroots sides like a hashtag United or something that wanted the publicity to kick him onto the next level fine but in the efl it's just such a smack in the face to players who play below that level there you go well i think um you know your humble pie is probably safe it's probably very likely that he will not do much in the world of football anymore and uh that you will be proved right in the long term uh, looking at our last conversation of the day, it's another one that I'm quite interested to hear your opinion on, because I think it's a, it, it's not something that has a right or wrong answer. I think that it really depends on the fan. I think it depends on the manager as well in a lot of cases, and I think it depends on the team. Um, and that is asking, which is more important, qualification or cups? Um and, you know, I think everyone everyone who's over a certain age of like 10 remembers that back in 2012, when Wenger came out and said that finishing in the top four was a trophy of its own, which at the time, because Arsenal hadn't won a trophy for seven years, I think, was just everyone was laughing. Everyone was going, oh, Arsenal winning the fourth place trophy again, which I think, you know, kind of rightfully so at the moment. It kind of, in a lot of ways, exemplified the lack of ambition they had or, or were perceived to have and that they saw, you know, first place the trophy, sure, but we can also go for the other trophy, which is fourth place. These days, that is kind of a written truth. You talk about, and certainly we've talked about, these teams battling away to finish top four, and top four is such an achievement, and qualifying for the Champions League, and to a slightly lesser extent, but not that much of a lesser extent, so is qualifying for the Europa League. These teams that battle out to try and finish in the top six, try and finish, you know, get Europa League qualification, um, to, the, to the degree where they sometimes prioritise it over the FA Cup or League Cup. And my question to you is, is, should that always be the case for these top teams, particularly looking at teams like, for example, uh, not so much Arsenal because they've won the FA Cup a lot recently, but a Spurs or an Everton that seem to sort of prioritise these positions in the table over getting silverware when they haven't won silverware in so long? 
Yeah, so this is an interesting question because I'm probably going to have quite a boring answer for you, which is that it completely depends on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I think Spurs are a really good example in that they historically, over the last 20 years, have been a cup team. And only recently are they moving more towards, um, you know, trying to, to make sure that they finish high up in the table of the Premier League. Well, and that, I think that... Cl- clarify what you mean sorry. by that, though, because if they're, they're a cup team that hasn't won a cup in 13 years, so so how do you mean? They, they're a team that always seem to put more eggs into the cup basket mm-hmm. than the league basket. They always, they typically field strong sides and tend to get a little progress a little further in competitions than they would if that corresponding success was measured out on the league table. Right. Okay. So so yeah. So it's often just that they they do well. They they put in the effort and then they sort of fall at the final hurdle when the the cup competitions that have typically been playing lower league sides start to get real and you're playing against Man United or Man City or or one of the other the top teams basically. Yeah, sure. And I think that ultimately the, the way I see that is that Spurs never really had a big enough squad to challenge for the league. I mean, I think it's so much harder to win the league than it is to win the cup just because the cup is reduced to, you know, ultimately maybe six, seven matches over 90 minutes and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the league, you need to do it 38 times and you need to have that consistency you need to battle through injuries and you need to you know, be the best side, pretty much. You can have slices of luck here and there, but ultimately the league is a much stronger indication of who is the best side at that in that year versus the cup. Yeah, you need, so, you need to get it right 38 times or at least more yeah, right and, than wrong. For a side like Spurs or Everton, I can understand why they would go for a trophy to try to try and win a trophy because that is all it's a financial decision it's a business decision and you know finishing in the top 4 is is going to be really hard um see, see, I the, kind my, of... my argument is that I think it's maybe the other way though I I think that a lot of teams have stopped prioritizing these trophies relative to European qualification you'll often see Everton for example and Everton is one example like could look at West Ham would be another one or, or Wolves could be another one these teams that push for league quote unquote success so that they can play in the Europa League and not win it but so that they can just play in it and, and, yes, get the financial support of qualifying for that instead of going for a trophy. And and my question to you, I suppose, was, you know, if you're Rupe Medinho and you get signed up as a manager for one of these teams, would you say that you should prioritise the trophy over European qualification? Or do you think that this is the correct mindset for these clubs to have to keep going for Europe? No, so what I think what I was going to elaborate on is that I think the, the goalposts have changed in that there's so much more money in TV deals now. And that makes up a greater percentage of your income. Mm-hmm. So now, play like clubs that used to once fancy themselves with a good cup run have become clubs that need to push for qualification because that is the business decision that makes sense now. Um, so you know, I, I think if you look at the the amount of money that you get, even just for participating in the Europa League in the Champions League, it's dozens of millions of pounds. Um, so you know, it, obviously, they need to go for that now. Um, so I think it's just the nature of, of the changing beast that it's never been more important to finish in the top four. I personally, if I was a manager, as Rupe Medinio, would push for European qualification above all else because if I have ambitions for you know legacy and for growth, then you need to be finishing in Europe so that you can attract bigger players. That, to me, is more important than anything. However, the other part of it that I want to flip back onto you is, well, let's hear your opinion first about all of that. Well, so so my, my thing is that you can look at, I think it's really interesting you, you brought up legacy there. And I think one of the managers and one of the manager parallels that I've been thinking about with reference to this, and that's been discussed before sort of this conversation has come across, and just because it was at the same club, is Mauricio Pochettino and Jose Mourinho. And Mauricio Pochettino is a manager who undoubtedly improved Spurs so, so many times over, you know, even taking them to a Champions League final, just turning them from a team that 
sometimes mixed around and sometimes would sort of look like they're around the top six they are a very strong member of the top six they often finish above you know if, if Chelsea are having a bit of a hiccup year or United are having a bit of a hiccup year you know it used to be the case that they would always finish below Arsenal now more often than not they're, they're finishing above them huge achievements all but ultimately a legacy that had no trophies and and you could say in in sense of a literally tangible thing nothing to show for it whereas Jose Mourinho has come in and, you know, there was a little bit of Tottenham Jose mania early this season that I think has now been dispelled. But they are playing in the League Cup final, albeit against Man City, who are going to give them a good run for it. If Jose Mourinho wins a trophy, will he have had a more successful tenure as Tottenham manager than Mauricio Pochettino, by some metrics? And by others, not. I mean, for me, no. If you want to talk about who is the better manager for Spurs, as you mentioned, you know, Pochettino had a great, great run. and. Obviously, in my plans as a manager, much like in Pochettino's plans as a manager, he probably didn't think that he was going to get fired. He's thinking long term. He's building for the future. Part like getting European qualification is a fundamental part of that. Yeah, no, no, I agree. But but the thing, the other thing you've got to consider is that you know legacy can be inspired by bringing new players. It can also be inspired by you know, the mentality of having trophies in your cabinet. And sometimes in football, you have these things called nearly teams. A lot has been made about Ole's United, for example, who have lost more semi-finals, I think, in, in the last two seasons than Sir Alex Ferguson ever lost. And uh, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, I remember the first three seasons he was there, there was a real worry that they were going to be a bit of a nearly team because they kept getting to semi-finals and finals and, and just losing at the last hurdle until it all sort of turned around in, in the Champions League final in Madrid. And, and everyone was sort of worried about that. And it became, I don't know if you remember, like it was genuinely a shadow that, pursued them in every single major game they had people would sort of go and I'm sure to a degree even the players were sort of going and eventually they've managed to dispel it and as soon as they've dispelled it and won a trophy obviously yes the Champions League that's a little bit different to winning the League Cup or the FA Cup but as soon as they've done that they've pivoted from being a team that is really good to a team that is decisively the best in the country and I do think that sometimes winning a trophy and having that physical tangible you know award of proof can be a great springboard to take your team to the next level yeah i agree with you i think it's a good point um you know you definitely need to balance between being i guess like schoolyard bullies if you win the efl cup every year and nothing else compared to you know i guess a, a team that wants to be ambitious but doesn't know where to put that mm-hmm I, I just so, think specifically for these teams that are in massive trophy droughts, if it were me, if, if it was you know, Cam A. McDonnellino, I would really consider at least one year, maybe even my first year when I knew it was going to be a rebuilding thing in the league, to just throw everything I had at like the League Cup and just try and get a trophy and try and build up something from it. Because that's something tangible. That, that's something that you can sort of... And, and it's interesting, actually, something I was looking at um, not even this week, but a couple of weeks ago um, when uh, the semi-finalists were announced, they were decided, rather, for, for the League Cup, and people were talking about how if Pep Guardiola wins this one, it'll be his fourth League Cup trophy, which is a joint tie with three other managers who have won it four times. And those three managers are Brian Clough, Alex Ferguson, and Jose Mourinho, so he's in pretty good company there, despite the fact that it's often perceived as this Mickey Mouse trophy. It's been won by three managers who are also just dominating everything else. And I do think that maybe, you know, because it happens mid-season, getting a tangible proof, evidence and proof of your quality midway through the season maybe does kick on players. It definitely does. I think that, you know, to say that, oh, if I was manager, I would do that if I knew there was no chance in the league because it was a build rebuilt year, then obviously, yeah, it makes total sense. We're talking about teams that need to decide one of the two. Where am I put my eggs? And I definitely agree with you that early on it can be really important, especially for you know just players to to feel like they have achieved something. Mm-hmm. You know, have that confidence in success. I completely agree with that. I think that's a really important point. But it's just such a nuanced thing, and it does completely change based on what where the club is at. Um, the flip side of it is the fans. And where do you stand on that? Do you think fans should push for European qualification? Or do you think that you know fans will be unhappy if they don't get to lift a trophy once every 10 years? 
I, I think most fans want a trophy more than anything else. The best day you have as a fan is a cup final or, or you know, or the day you win the league. But that is very unlikely unless you're the best team in, in the land. I'm talking about achievable goals for, for more teams. And being able to go to a cup final of winning is just absolutely euphoric as a fan. Um, and I do think that for a lot of these teams that, you know, zero in on... Champions League qualification and Europa League qualification, often you have to sort of ask the question, to what end? Because a lot of these teams, you know, looking at Arsenal when they were playing in the Champions League every year and never getting beyond the last 16, looking at, I guess Spurs had that one year where they went fun, but other than that, never really a threat in there. Looking at your Everton's and your Wolves and your West Ham's when they make it into the Europa League and never make it past the round of 32, you've qualified to what end? Yes, you get some money, but it's just, you've stretched your squad. Often it actually does more damage to your season than it does benefit. So you maybe you've attracted new players, but you've ended up finishing 12th where last season you finished 8th. And you've also not got a trophy to boot. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, I think the reason why Arsene Wenger was criticised for it, or Arsenal were criticised for it, is also just because, you know, it's it's cynical. It's about the business of the game rather than about, you know, the love of the game. Mm-hmm. So I, I do agree with that as well. I think, yeah, it just completely depends. There are, there are definitely times when I think to myself, you know, I would love to have those moments, even if it's just two or three in my career where I get to lift a trophy, I get to win something big and feel like I've achieved something versus, you know, I'm I'm proud that I've grown my club from ninth place to third place in six years. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I get both points of view, um, but I just think it's one of those things, especially for a club that hasn't won a trophy for ages, if you're the manager that brings a trophy there, you already kind of write your name in the history books, whereas sometimes admittedly unfairly if Spurs now become really really good and let's say they win the league in two years time everyone will be singing Jose Mourinho's praises as they were at the start of this season when the people were sort of thinking they might be a threat no one was talking about Pochettino at that point despite the fact that he absolutely laid the groundwork for where Spurs are today so if Spurs now go on to be really really successful yeah a couple of cultured people are going to be going ah but Pochettino but most people were going Mourinho 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 he's the one who made Spurs really good so if he'd at least got a trophy, he'd at least have that sort of like bookmark in Spurs history, whereas otherwise. Yeah, it's true. But I think the flip side of that is also, you know, managers have their roles. Some mm-hmm. managers are brought in to stop club teams from going down. They're not necessarily kept after they save them, you know, because there are managers that are needed for different jobs. Some managers are able to take a club to a certain point, but then might not be able to progress any further. Some managers like Jose Mourinho can come in, spend two or three years at a club, win a lot, but then also ultimately have to leave. You know, d- there are different managers, different people, uh, no, I, different I roles. No, I 100% agree, but I would say with the specific, and I, I am zeroing on this comparison quite a lot, but just because I think it's a relevant one, if Pochettino could take Spurs to a Champions League final, he definitely could have won them the FA Cup or, or the League Cup. True, but I, I, I don't know what the opinion is of of a lot of newspapers because i tend to get a lot of my football information kind of oh from first sources like from watching the games Mm -hmm. um but you know it it does just feel like to my to my mind at least pochettino has done comfortably comfortably more for spurs than than i think jose Mourinho ever will even if he wins you know a, a nice trophy if he doesn't win the league and if he doesn't win the europa league or the Champions League, then good, good for you. Have your League Cup. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess we'll have to to wait and see. And um, incidentally, actually, I, I mentioned that list there. Of course, if Mourinho wins uh, this trophy for Spurs, he will also break the record for most wins of the League Cup um, with five pulling ahead. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is to Spurs winning a trophy, especially the League Cup, because it is a tournament that I feel like a lot of teams even not just necessarily top six sides, but I just think a lot of Premier League sides sort of look at it and go, eh, is it, it's a Mickey Mouse cup? And it's like, yeah, but it's a cup. Yeah, I mean, it's still a cup. People can think it's beneath them if they want, but that's their, that's their decision. Um, I silverware is silverware, as you said. Yeah, that's what I think. Uh, shall we see if you can win some silverware by resolving guessing game? Let's do it. Um, so again, I feel like because you have quite quite niche clues, I so I often get to the end and I think if it's not this player, I've got not a single clue as to who it could be, 
I've got a player in mind. Well, let me, Do you want let... to read out the clues again, and then we'll see if I can get it right? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say. So the first clue is that this player uh, has been known by many nicknames. He's a nicknamey kind of player. Uh, one of which was the new Diego. This player is the only player in football history to be the top scorer or assist provider in the Premier League, La Liga, Europa League, Champions League, World Cup, and two other tournaments that I'll reveal if you need a hint. Uh, And this player is known for his massive presence on the streaming site Twitch. Okay, so... I'm really just going off that middle clue because I think I think I have an idea of who that could be. It's obviously a journeyman, obviously you know a big assist maker. Well, um, it could be a journeyman. Premier League, La Liga. Th- those are the two domestic leagues I've said. Then Europa League, Champions League, and World Cup could be you know. Oh yeah, that's true. Okay, so but I mean a player that has played in several competitions mm-hmm. and and has had a storied career with international success as well. Mm-hmm. Um. I think the new Diego is a bit of a it's a bit of a confusing clue. I think you that's a red herring you've put in there to throw me off. Um, it might even be about you know Diego the 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 attacking midfielder rather than Diego Maradona. Um, mm-hmm. I or think could, could be Diego Costa. Could be any number of Diegos. I, I could be, yeah, could I mean, be Diego. Forlan. Wasn't a helpful. Wasn't a helpful clue. Who's to say? Um, and so the, my guess is a player who is currently still at a club, but does not get much game time. He's in the Premier League. Am I going on the right direction? Uh, I believe you are. I think you've got it. Is it um, a great man, Meza Ozil? It is indeed. And those two leagues that I had admitted were also Bundesliga and the Euros. He was the top scorer or assister in the Premier League. Uh, 15-16, La Liga in 10-11, 11-12, 12-13. These are all assists, by the way. I just said top scorer or assist to to try and lead you down the garden path. Uh, Europa League 17-18, Champions League 10-11, World Cup 2010, uh, and then Bundesliga 09-10 and Euros 2012. Um, My other clues were that he has gone by many nicknames, one of which was the new Diego, uh, which was as you imagine there, Diego Ribas of Werder Bremen, who he replaced when he first signed there. And Ozil is known, perhaps chiefly these days, due to his lack of playing for Arsenal, um, for his streaming on Twitch, where he plays FIFA and Fortnite and games of that nature. Um, It's interesting that you went for him, because I was trying to, and I hope that at least a few listeners have been baited into the trap that I've intricately set there. Um, Could you guess which player I was trying to get you to guess? Um... So, okay, so you were trying to get me to guess. I mean, the, the main thing is the, a Twitch player. I don't really know any... To be fair, if you, if, if you, don't, know, do... if you don't know that one, that... So, <laughs> my, my clues here, the lead I was bearing was, this player has gone by many minutes, one of which was the new Diego. The player is Argentinian. I only listed that he'd scored in the Premier League and La Liga and left out the Bundesliga. This player has played in both of those leagues. As well okay, as... so Premier League, La Liga, Argentinian... And and incidentally, is the largest footballer on Twitch. I, I didn't say the you know didn't didn't put that in, but yeah, this this person is the largest. Sergio footballer on Twitch. Aguero. It is, yeah, Sergio Aguero is who I was trying to get you to guess. Fair enough. I mean, I actually I have a, an image in my head of him wearing like headphones and sitting on a gamer's chair, but I have no idea where that image is from, and I have no clue what he plays. Or, <laughs> That's his Spanish language had no Twitch idea. stream, bro. Is <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that he was a. Uh, a serious gamer. I just thought it was something related to. Yes, he has, has two point nine million followers on Twitch. Does he? Yep. Is he good? Yep. Well, well, wow. he's, he's, he's fairly good, but uh, I've only dropped into his Twitch like Man, once or twice. Save the interest. talent for someone else. God damn it. <laughs> well, I, I think it's actually quite sad to be honest. Why? Like, it's actually a bit upsetting. He has this whole thing, Sergio Aguero, where. Um, he, by his own admission, doesn't have a lot of friends in the Man City squad. His best mate, who lives in Manchester, is David De Gea. And he says, I remember reading this interview with him where he was like, oh, ever since my wife divorced me and took us home with her, most days I just go home and watch Spanish language movies in my house on my own. And I was like, oh my god. Oh, buddy. Right? That, so, is, that is sad. That is really sad. So at least, I mean, I guess it's not sad that he's got a twist, but I think, he, I think he's found all this time to channel into gaming because... Uh, uh, no tienes un amigo. Wow. Well, fair play. Um, but the more you know. He's got a banging Twitch stream now, so so there's that. He does indeed. Well, I was um, unperturbed by your Sergio Aguero hints, much as I am unperturbed by his Twitch account. Um, 
And uh, yeah, the um, I've come across that stat before. I think that Mesut Özil's just had such an amazing career, and he gets so underrated at times, criminally, uh, in my opinion. Um, you know, often touted as the truest, I guess, luxury player of of modern era, but mm. he is such a such an amazing player on his day. At, yeah, at his best, he was one of those players, a bit like a Ronaldinho or, you know, even like a Rabinho or someone like that. You would watch them and you would go, this is the ultimate level of how the game is meant to be played. Like, I'm enjoying it. Even as a, an opposing fan, you watch him and you enjoy it. He plays, like, beautiful football. Yeah, 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 100%. And, and now, unfortunately, we're seeing the end of him in the Premier League, so I thought I'd send him off with a, a little tribute there. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Uh, we don't have any settling the score this week, Rupert, because of the FA Cup break and the games we predicted last week will be played on Tuesday. So I think that about does us for this week. Uh, Rupert, That gra- will indeed do it, yeah. Rupert, great to talk to you as always. Cam, thank you very much and thank you to everyone for listening. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron MacDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.